Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) So, uh, in case there is any question about what the sermon is about, I am the bread of life. And that song we just sang, wow. You know, uh, on Easter, I, I basically used that message to transition us from seeing Christ as the Passover lamb to seeing him as the great I am. And so for the next seven plus Sundays, we're going to be seeing Jesus as the great I am. But before we get into the message, I want to lift up a particular prayer concern. Uh, Many of you know who Helen Verona is. She she comes in, she she musters all the strength she can to drive up here and bring herself in on a walker and sits right over here in front of Sharon. Uh, This past week, she had, had a ruptured aorta, uh, and as best I can understand, she was able to call the ambulance herself. Had an ambulance that took, she wound up being life flighted to downtown Houston to Methodist, where they operated on her almost immediately. Uh, left her open for that day to see if she was going to survive, and then the next day they took her back into the uh, surgery and closed her up. Uh, She has been sedated. She is intubated. Please, please lift her up in your prayers. Petsy and I went down. Don't don't attempt to visit her. You you would not be allowed in. But as her pastor, uh, Petsy and I were allowed to go in. She was was sedated, but we were able to pray over her. And she looks, she looks like the normal, healthy Helen that we were used to seeing, which is good. She had a good color to her. So just pray that she would be restored. And perhaps, who knows, maybe that thing was leaking all along and was part of her weakness and inability to, to regain her strength. So maybe the Lord's got a plan to, to restore her even more fully than she was. So please remember her in your prayers. And I would also covet your prayers for uh, Timothy's youngest son, Michael, who now seems to be kind of suffering with the same thing that put Nathan in the hospital last weekend. Hopefully it won't go that far for, for, for Michael, but please remember him in your prayers. Okay, so let's get into the message today. I am the bread of life. This morning we're going to start that seven-part series uh, and... We heard Jesus tell the Pharisees in John 8 last week, before Abraham was, I am. Right? And he was basically calling them out 
saying, go ahead and do what you're going to do to me because the time has come. Now, this was not new verbiage from Jesus. He had throughout his ministry, actually, been identifying himself as I am. And as I mentioned last Sunday, the gospel writer John, one of the twelve, who was the last one to write a gospel. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic gospels because they each tell basically the same story in chronological order uh, about the life of Jesus. John takes a different tack, and he chooses to answer with his gospel, to answer the question, who is Jesus? And because that's what he has done with his gospel, anytime some new believer uh, or some, some old believer who comes to me and says, hey, I'm, I'm going to start reading the Bible, where should I start? I say, start in John. Start in John. Because in order to understand the rest of the Bible, you need to know who Jesus is. And John is the best at answering that question in, in a real-life way. Who is Jesus? And he, he, he hangs his answer on four statements, I mean seven statements of Jesus, the seven I am. So we went through them real quickly last Sunday. Now we're going to take uh, seven weeks and go through them very slowly. So we'll take them one at, one at a time. We're going to start in, well, little. we're going to start in chapter 6. But first I want... I want us to see what John himself says about why he wrote his gospel. So we're going to start at John chapter 20, verse 31, right there near the end of his, of his gospel. There he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There it is. That's why John wrote his gospel. That you might believe and have life in his name. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one. He is the one that makes a difference to all things. Do you have life in him? Do you have life in Jesus? Do you want to have life in him? I encourage you as we make our way through these portions of John over the next weeks to consider whether you have, have that life in Jesus or not. So, turn to chapter 6 now. We're going to start in verse 1. We're not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to skip portions of it for the sake of time. Uh, but we are going to cover quite a bit of it. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Notice that, why they're following him. They're following him because of the miracles. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. Um, interesting thing, observation there that John makes. It is possible that the people who are about to gather were on their way to Jerusalem and said, hey, here's Jesus, let's turn aside 
spend some time with him before we continue to the Passover. Just, just a possibility, maybe why John mentioned that. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Okay? That's not counting women and children. So we're talking thousands probably more than the 5,000. Who knows? Maybe 10,000. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five loaves left over by those who had eaten. As with so much of John's gospel, he surrounds the I am statements with supporting material. So he's got this story about Jesus feeding over 5,000 people with bread, with loaves and fishes, right before he starts into Jesus being the bread of life. Thousands of people had gathered desiring something from Jesus. They were there to feed on him in one way or another. Some to see miracles, some to receive miracles, some simply out of curiosity. Jesus knew all of them and he knew what they really need was himself. They really needed him. They needed to feed on him. He gave them a mixture of what they wanted and what he knew they needed. And I think there's a lesson in that for us. As we who are believers seek to be faithful to our faith, we don't want to be, <laughs> we don't want to be those Bible thumpers who are always beating people over the head with, you know, with, with Scripture. We want to be the folks who are meeting some of their needs and wants in order to gain their trust so that then they will hear what we have to say about Jesus. And I think that's, that's kind of what John's laying out here for us in the way that Jesus lived and taught. He's, he's giving them the miracle that they want. He's giving them something to feed on and taste, and fill their bellies, knowing that isn't really a need for them at all. Their real need is to feed on him as the bread of life. Let's continue. 
We're going to continue in verse 25, but let me fill in because we're skipping some. Jesus slipped away. The disciples didn't even know for sure where he was. So that evening is the evening when they get in their boat to go back over to the other side of the lake. The storms come up, and Jesus comes to them on the lake walking on the water. Okay, that's a story for another time. We've covered it in other ways. But they end up back on the other side in Capernaum. And there are folks who were left behind of the 5,000. Some hung around and, hey, where's Jesus? We want to we be around him. And they realize Jesus is gone. So they, too, go to the other side of the lake expecting and looking to find Jesus there. And that's where we pick up in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Hmm. We have these few who were intrigued enough to follow over, go to the other side of the lake. Jesus had not unloaded his true message on the full 5,000 plus. He had waited till the Lord winnowed down to you know, the handful who were serious about knowing something, learning something. And then he lays it on them. Let's continue in verse 28. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Now that is a very Jewish question. That is a very works-oriented question, right? The Jews understood there was a lot of things they had to do. You know, faith was about doing for them, and so it's natural that they would ask this sort of question. So let's see, verse 29. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. He points out that it's simpler than doing this long list of to-dos. You know, keeping this long list of laws. It's faith alone, by grace alone, through, through belief in Jesus now, they obviously knew Jesus was talking about himself in that previous response. So in verse 30, they ask him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? He's already done quite a bit. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. <clears throat> Interesting. He's already fed them bread from heaven, right? <laughs> and they're going back. Now, granted, it's, 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 it's great of them. They've connected what Jesus did with 
What Moses did, which we've already done here a couple Sundays ago, right? We, we kind of went through that. But, um, you know, we talked about the Passover. And then, of course, after the Hebrews get let go from Egypt, they're out. God forces them to wander for 40 years because they essentially forsook him, even after he led them out of bondage. And they're having to wander out there in the wilderness for 40 years. And so food was a problem. We're talking about over 2 million people in a fairly uh, forsaken area. So God miraculously provides them manna and quail every day except the Sabbath. The manna falls to the ground like dew, Scripture tells us, and they have to go and gather it enough for however many of them there were in their household. And then it, was, it would spoil before the next day, unless the next day was the Sabbath. And amazingly, if the next day was the Sabbath, then what they had saved for the Sabbath was good the next day. But that only worked on the day before Sabbath in terms of collecting too much. Anyway, the precedent there was set. God providing the bread from heaven. They're again pointing forward in time to when the true bread from heaven, Jesus Christ himself, would be, uh, would be sent. And so these guys a asking Jesus these questions without realizing it, they've pointed Jesus to himself in the Old Testament. So Jesus answers, verse 32. Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself, of course. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They're still thinking about the bread he gave them the day before. And we want some more of that. And so, it wasn't enough. Aren't we just like that? I mean, we can, we can experience a miracle. And the next day, the miracle is commonplace. We want more. I, what is it about us, you know? Then Jesus declared. Here's the bottom line, y'all. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, granted, he's not talking about our physical hunger and physical thirst. He's talking about the, the spiritual hunger and thirst that, that each one of us was born with, that desire to, to identify with the great I am, the one who is greater than us, the one who is above all and who has everything in his hands. We all have that innate desire to connect with God, even those folks who claim to be atheists. They just do it in a different way. Their God is the absence of a God. Let's go to verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him, uh, catch that now, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him, it doesn't say everyone, 
It says, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him, there are folks called universalists. You know what a universalist is? Those are folks who claim Christianity and say that his death applies to everybody equally. It doesn't matter whether you believe in him or whether you assert faith. It's universal. It just doesn't fit with what Scripture says. And this is just one of those examples I'm trying to point out here. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? I guess they went... It, it, they were kind of expecting the Messiah to just, God to just put him there, full grown, you know, just zap, there he is. Uh, but because they knew Jesus' family, perhaps even some of them there watched Jesus grow up, they had a hard time believing that he was who he was now saying he was. And I have to say, I would, I would have an equally hard time, right? This is taking place in his quasi-hometown, Capernaum. So yes, his, his formative years were, were spent there in Caper, Capernaum. These folks would have known his parents. Verse 43, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father, speaking of Himself. He's the only one who's seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. There He's repeating that key statement again. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Nothing special about that manna if you're going to die anyway. I am, but, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. Now, not die eternally anyway. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. So, we see God both demonstrating his faithfulness and symbolizing the future bread that he would send down through, through the manna in the past and Jesus in the present and future. Bread that would also need to be gathered and consumed daily. See, I think there's a lesson in the manna. And Jesus, they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't gather a week's worth at a time. Just like you can't come here on Sunday and expect to be fed enough Jesus to last the week. Folks, it doesn't work that way. You need to be feeding on Jesus, the bread of life, every day. 
Now, John opens his gospel for the first chapter. He, he points out Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. So how do we feed on the Word of God? We feed on the Word of God by getting into Scripture. I can get you into Scripture a little ways, but that is no substitute for you guys getting in yourself, feeding yourself day by day on God's Word. Be, Jesus is here instructing his potential followers that they must consume him as their sustenance, just like the Hebrews had done with the manna. They're to do that so that they may eat and not die, so that they will live forever, and so that they will have life in him. Let's start in verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Boy, he was driving that point home big time. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate man and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, I got to tell you, uh, even I have a problem with the graphic nature of what Jesus is saying here. I mean, you can't help but picture, you know, a, a fleshy, bloody piece of his body. I mean, that's gross. Uh, and then, you know, a cup with his blood in it. And that's just plain gory. Uh, and, you know, there are those of our brothers and sisters in the faith who take that, what we call communion, or others may call the Eucharist, uh, body and blood of Christ, that it actually becomes that flesh and blood as they consume it. Now, we look at that as more as symbols of the flesh and blood, and we believe that what Jesus is saying here is symbolic, but he gets graphic because, first of all, this is, these words are being spoken before he has gone to the cross, before folks have seen what, his teaching is all going to lead to. And so he's already pointing them to the fact that his flesh and blood, his flesh is going to be torn and his, his blood is going to be shed. And he wants them 
to realize that when it comes, and he wants him, them, them and us to impart that in such a way that the sacrifice he has made becomes something that we feed on on a daily basis. Not that we eat his flesh and drink his blood, but we, we, we embrace the reality, the horror of what it was that he went through for us. This was such a horror to many of those who were presuming to kind of semi-follow him that we find in verse 66 this statement. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What about you? Have you turned back from where you once were in your faith? Have you let the worries and concerns of the world cause you to stop feeding on him as you know you should. I, I've, I've been guilty of that in my life. Sometimes for years in a row. And I can even be aware of it at the times. Like, I know all I have to do is start pouring over his word again. And yet, Satan is, is there trying to, just making it so hard to claw your way back when it's really just as simple as turning and picking up his word and diving in. Sounds simple, right? It's not as simple as reading it because you also have to act on what it is you're reading if you expect. I mean, that's the consuming. That's the making it a part of you. Otherwise, you're just tasting. You know, you don't want to just taste. You don't want to be a taster. You want to swallow the word and let it have its way with you, which can be very painful at times, right? That's why following Jesus in Scripture is often referred to as taking up one's cross. Have you taken up your cross? Have you taken up your cross? Now, that doesn't mean you, you're going to be a masochist. You know? You're not out there to lay your life on the line daily. Try to find somebody who's going to who's going to harm you because of your faith. No, that's, that's, not what, that's not what taking up your cross is all about. It, it does mean that you choose faithful representation of Christ despite social, physical, emotional ills that may come upon you because of your faithfulness. It does not mean that you should exercise an in-your-face kind of faith that is offensive and insensitive. It does mean that you choose to walk as Jesus walked. You choose to act as Jesus acted. You choose to love as Jesus loved. You choose to hold believers accountable as Jesus held his believers accountable. You choose, perhaps above all else, to forgive as Jesus forgave those who flogged and beat 
and crucified him. Even with his last breath, he was asking his father to forgive them. And all of this you can only hope to do by feeding on Jesus, the bread of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us, Jesus, the bread of life. Father, help us to be faithful in consuming your word made flesh in Jesus. Help us to, to, to get into it ourselves, to allow your spirit to use it, to enter our hearts, to change us from the inside out, and to cause us to come alongside you in ministry to others. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.